Church, I'd like to introduce you to four friends, four Christian friends. Maybe you can relate to these friends. Maybe you have one of these friends. Maybe you are one of these friends. Um, the first friend says, you know, I just, I have no self-control. I just can't say no. And all people ask me to help them and I just, I can't say no. Someone offers me another drink when I know I should say no. I just, I can't say no. When I get angry, I just can't hold it back. I just have no self-control whatsoever. I can't say no to relationships I know aren't good for me. I can't say no to substances I know aren't good for me. I just, I just got no self-control. The second friend says, I don't know what the big deal is. I don't think self-control is that hard. I have lots of self-control. I know I get up at the same time every day and I go to the gym and I work out and I eat the things that I'm supposed to eat and uh, I just very disciplined life. I don't do things that I'm not supposed to do. You know, I just kind of commit to it. And I don't know why it's such a hard thing, why more people don't do it. Just set in your mind what you're going to do and stick to it. I'm in control. The third friend comes in and says, you know, I just, I just bite my tongue. It's better just not to say anything at all. You know, just keep it in. Like, people knew what I was thinking half the time. Like, just better not to even say anything. You know, things will pass. People will move on. Situations change. Don't cause a problem. Just let it go. And the fourth friend says, I don't know. I don't even think we're supposed to worry about self-control. Like, isn't that the point of Jesus on the cross? It, every sin is forgiven, right? It's already been paid for. We're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying to believe in grace and faith. So I think just keep it simple. Just love everyone, being as loving as you can. And don't worry about perfection. Don't worry about self-control and tie ourselves in knots trying to do a bunch of things that don't matter. It's all about grace and faith anyway. Can you relate to any of these four friends? Are you one of these four friends? Are you married to one of these four friends? Is one of your close friends one of these four friends? Whether they realize it or not, these four friends are all doing theology, the study of God. They're wrestling with their beliefs and trying to put it into practice. And so we all do this. And whether we fall exactly into one of these categories of not or not, we have to do theology when it comes to the topic of self-control. Now, when I look at the world that we live in right now, I see like an utter lack, an absence of self-control. I see people who can't control, who don't control their speech. They say whatever, whenever. And I see people who can't control their actions uh, or their anger. I see people who can't control themselves when it comes to sexuality, or when it comes to substance abuse, or when it comes to all sorts of things. I just see it like it's lacking in our world. But I see it lacking in us as believers many times too and feel like, oh, but don't we have God's power? Aren't we called to be something different for the world, something more? How can God work in us to make us people that exhibit self-control? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Imagine what it would look like if every Christian in the world had self-control and it just came naturally to them, was part of their character, part of their nature, their new nature. I think that's what we want. But the minute we start talking about self-control, it, it walks this fine line between I can do this and I'm going to just make sure that I don't say the wrong things or do the wrong things, which is salvation by works. And if that was possible, then we don't actually need Jesus on the cross because we just work ourselves into better and better shape until we're, we're perfected. So no, that's not the right route. That's falling off the path on this direction. But then they're just giving in and being like, you know, Christians are just people too. And we all struggle in the same ways. 
Yes, but we've also been transformed. So we should respond and behave differently. And self-control is one of these ways that we act in the world. In our last conversation about fruit and bearing fruit in the world, we talked about the things we intentionally do, our actions. We talked about our responses, the way we react to things. It's unintentional, but it's behavior. Self-control is like that, but it's actually the things that we choose not to do, the things we choose not to say, the things we choose not to take part in. That's part of our fruit. What we don't say or do is part of our witness to the world. But either it can be self-imposed self-will, or it can be genuine fruit of the Spirit. And so that's where our theology comes in. We need to work out that theology. And that's what I would like to do in this conversation uh, this, uh, this time. I'd like to see what the Bible has to say to each of those four friends, what advice it can give. And as we relate to each or to specific of these friends, I hope that the Bible have advice for us that we can take to see what self-control looks like for us, how we can bear that wonderful fruit in our world. So as we get started, uh, if you're with a group of friends, I'd love to ask you for just a moment to pause this message and just turn to each other and ask, which of those four friends do you most relate to? Or have you seen crop up in your life? How do you wrestle with your own theology and beliefs and faith in terms of self-control? So if you want to just take a minute, talk about it, uh, just bring it to life for yourself, then we'll see what Jesus has to say to each of our four friends and uh, hopefully to us as well. Okay, um, before we get to the advice, we need to do a little bit of a vocab lesson, a Greek vocab lesson. There are two words in the Greek language which we see in the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, two words that we see used for self-control. So English, every time we see it, self-control, it's going to be one of these two words. These are the two main words used for it. This is why sometimes our theology gets tricky because we're reading an English translation and one word actually is being used to talk about at different times two different Different concepts. So let's separate them. If I were to put it in layman's terms, I would say that one Greek word, enkratia, is the kind of self-control that's based on our force and our strength. I have the strength to be self-controlled. And then the other one, sophrosune, that's self-control by being kind of like above the experience. It's just not tempting us. It's not dragging us down. We're like above that. The Greeks looked at these as two different concepts, and so when we're wrestling with what things do we put effort into, what things do we ask God to give us freedom with, I think the fight in Kratia and the freedom are two forms of self-control. We can wrestle with things, and God can also just deliver us and give us freedom from things. So I'm going to read a couple of quick definitions of these two Greek words, and we'll try to keep them in mind as we look at the Bible's advice on self-control and uh, think about what it means for ourselves, whether we're in a fight or whether we're gaining freedom or a combination of both. So the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology says, according to Aristotle, the one who is enkrates has strong desires but is able to suppress them, whereas the one who is sophron is elevated above all such fierce drives. Now the theological lexicon of the New Testament says that enkrati is from kratos, which means force. So the enkrates is the person who is master of himself. The opposite of that is akrates, 
is the one who cannot contain himself, the one who is lacking in power. I think that's a really interesting point. No self-control is weak. It's lacking the strength to have control. From the time of Socrates, who made Encratia the basis and foundation of all the virtues, so self-control is a foundational thing for every other virtue, according to Socrates, and then Aristotle, who distinguished between the perfectly chaste person who doesn't even know impure desires, Sophron, and the continent person who feels their power but resists them, Encrates, this control over impulses and tempering of the passions are considered among, were considered among the Greeks as an element of prudence, temperance, sophrosune, and consequently an essential virtue for the honest person. This commentator makes a great uh, compare-contrast here to a scripture from 2 Timothy. Uh, he says, The people of the end times will not have this self-control. It's not so much that they lead a dissolute life, but rather they cannot control themselves. And so they no longer act as human beings, they are amoral beings. And he's quoting and referring to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Listen to Paul, how he describes this. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. <clears throat> They'll be lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So like that's what I'm saying I see. I see a world that just cannot control themselves. And I see believers that have like a form of godliness but deny its power. It's not powerful. And so we all get kind of in the same soup. And so those who should be the, the example, the living example, the life of Christ, look much like people in the world. And yet if this foundation of virtue and character and Christ's own character, think of Christ's self-control. You know, if self-control is that foundation for us, what advice can the Bible give us? in our various uh, wrestling matches, uh, our own theology of self-control. So let's go to our four friends and to scriptures that can relate to them. The first friend is uh, the friend who says, I just, I don't have any self-control. It doesn't matter. I've tried so many times. I just can't say no, I can't resist. <coughs> this is what the Bible would say to that person. Philippians 2, 12, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he's saying it's a matter of integrity, not just when I'm around, but when I'm absent, work it out with fear and with trembling. It's hard and it's awesome work. But it's God that's actually working on our wills, and it's God that's working on our actions for his purposes. So you can't, but God's in you, and he's doing it, so you can. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything, all things, through Christ who gives me strength. <clears throat> so, you can do all things. 
You are capable of anything that God is giving us strength to do because God's strength is limitless. So even if ours is limited, you may be seeing the fleshly limitations, I can't. But Christ is in you. We can do all things, whether we have a lot or have a little. And we can be content. We don't have to fall to the temptation when something's offered to us or we're tempted to do or something. No, we can do all things, even these things. One more piece of advice from Scripture to this first friend. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's already given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these, He's given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we've been given what we need to participate in God's divine nature and escape the temptation of the world and evil desires, corruption. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort, so put in effort, to add to your faith. This is the seed that will grow. So the, add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we risk being ineffective and unproductive. That's, that's the, I can't do it. You're giving in. That friend, the Bible's advice to them is you can do it. God already has do it. He is doing it. Don't quit because God's not quitting. And if you do just give up, even though you don't need to, well, just be nearsighted and blind. You, you, you could realize that you've been forgiven for all these things and given God's power, but you're just not taking advantage of what you have, this inheritance. You know, you can be ineffective or unproductive. Not not saved, saved but ineffective, saved but unproductive. So to that friend the Bible calls, believe, have faith, live to what God has given you, you can. So there's a second friend, though, someone else who works out uh, self-control in a different way. And this person says, you know, I've got this. No, I can do it. It's just self-control. Just live a disciplined life. Set the things that you want to do and and stick to it. You know, I I can be in control of the things that I can be in control and everything else I'm not even going to worry about. Well, we might want to be reminded of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the place to start when we feel like we can just self-discipline ourselves. Now, self-reliance is not a godly attribute. That's not Christ-like, self-reliance. If we just lean on ourselves, rely on ourselves, we'll get to where we need to go. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Self-reliance is unbiblical. But self-control is very biblical. It's Christ-like. It's godly. So what about this person that says, I've got lots of self-control and it looks like self-reliance? Uh, maybe there's a lack of humility there, a a lack of admitting our failures, because if we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we have to know that we may set up our own plans, but we'll be the one who undermines them. And even if we're the one that keeps them, the world may wreck them on us. 
So it's not actually possible to be self-controlled in this way. And if we're spending all of our time disciplining ourselves, maybe actually we're missing the bigger picture. So there's a wonderful passage that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. It's Colossians 2, starting in verse 20. And he talks about people that have this sort of approach to self-control, and he really cautions them. So let's hear his words. Paul writes, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world... Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the fleshly nature. and put on and be clothed with Christ. We can spend all of our time focusing on what not to do, the things not to say, what to do, how to act, how to speak, and those are all temporary things which go away. Instead, we're supposed to have just died to those things. It should be part of our, our, our lifestyle to avoid them, but if the main focus is, I will be a good person, I will not do bad things, then we're spending all of our time in temporary stuff which goes away. Instead, if we just die to those things and fix our minds on Christ, then when someone asks us, what is your faith like? We won't describe the 15 things that we focus on and like rigorously, you know, what does it say? Harsh treatment of the body, false humility, self-imposed worship. That won't be what we describe. We'll describe the love we have for Jesus and how he saved us from all these things and how we're working through those things, but how we live for him and how he's clothing us in his righteousness. You know, Mr. I I can do it all. I've got it under control. Well, no, we don't have it all under control, but Christ does. And so let's be careful that our harsh treatment of our bodies, our self-reliance is not taking the place of Christ-reliance and crucifixion of the self. And once it's dead, don't spend our whole lives just focusing on it, kicking it while it's dead. It's just, it's done with. Let's not even live for it anymore. Those things have passed. And if they're there, then we work on them. But working on our fleshly nature is not the same thing as living the new nature. It's like the pruning. Let's do the living, you know, the joy of your salvation, renewing me the a clean heart and the joy of your salvation. That's what the psalmist wrote. That's what we're to do. So the Bible's advice to those who uh, feel like self-discipline and self-control is uh, up to them and possible. The third friend uh, is the, the one who says, you know, I'll just keep it to myself You know, I'm just going to bite my tongue. I'll pretend like it doesn't matter. I'll pretend like it doesn't bother me. The Bible has some very specific uh, advice for that sort of approach to self-control as well. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. If something's bothering us, if we are angry with a person or a situation, we are not to sin. 
So there's an element of exercising self-control, either in the encrates form, or I will just use the strength that God's giving me to just not um, sin, but be angry, you know, genuine, honest, not hypocritical, not pretend, uh, or just have freedom. And don't sin because God just gives us ability to opt out of that, to see anger and just give it to him. So whether it's sophrosune or encrates, you know, do not sin, but do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. He says, don't just bottle it up. That's the advice to the person that says, I'll pretend like it doesn't matter. It actually does matter. Don't let it sit unsaid. Don't let bitterness get in. Don't let grudges develop because they won't go away. They'll bottle and bottle and bottle. And then over time, when pressure gets to us, those things will come out. They won't come out in an appropriate way, at appropriate time. So seek to work those things out instead of pretending like they're not there. Don't bottle. Work it out in the Lord. Luke 12, uh, Jesus began to, 12 verse 1, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Things don't stay hidden forever. They come out into the light. And so if we have these thoughts and feelings like, well, I'm just not going to say it. If it's there, we'll find ourselves gossiping because it's still there. We'll find ourselves avoiding someone's company because it's still there. We'll find ourselves lashing out at others because of a problem over here that's unresolved with. That was the yeast of the Pharisees. It was hypocrisies. You know, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead bones. They're like whitewashed tombs. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So if God's looking at our heart, he sees what we think and feel anyway, so we don't get any credit for just not saying the thing out loud but feeling it and thinking it and keeping it. Now maybe God will give us freedom and just take that away from us. Maybe we have to turn it over to him daily. Maybe we're continually being sinned against. So we have this effort, this process of continual forgiveness. But if God sees the heart, then bottling it, ignoring it, pretending it, just makes us hypocrites. And that's not self-control. So God would say, don't bottle it. He'd say, work it out. So to our fourth friend, what advice would Scripture have to the person that says, I just don't worry about things. Just take it easy. Like I believe in grace, right? So if we're trying to make ourselves perfect, that's not going to happen anyway. We lean into faith. We rely upon Jesus on the cross. Uh, and so to worry about what I say, what I don't do is actually putting our focus on the wrong things. Well, to that, I would read Colossians uh, 1, 27. This is Paul talking about his own uh, faith, his own theology of effort and faith. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we, he means the apostles, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And to this end, I labor struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. So Paul's laboring. He's struggling, but not with his own strength. With all of God's 
energy which is at work within him. He's stirred up by God's spirit and God's at work within him to, to like motivate him and compel him into action. And so he's just compelled by God's love to share the gospel. This is not a Paul that says, well, Jesus died on the cross for everyone's sins, so whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. And if they hear about God through me or through someone else, it doesn't matter. No, he's like, to this end, I labor. It's my life's work. It's my masterpiece. I'm going to pour myself out like a drink offering, he says at another point. And I'd be glad to be poured out for that cause. So Paul doesn't take it as, I'm just going to let it go. How about Proverbs 25, 28? It says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Like a city that's broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. So the man without self-control has no walls, no defense. He's broken into, he's vulnerable, he's open to attack. Those things that would come against us will have entryways, ways to get in. Are our walls broken down in any places? Are we weak? Are we not protecting ourselves? Well, someone with no defense is someone who's easily led astray. Oh, come and do this. Oh, okay. God's spirit and his self-control and his protection, whether it's freedom or us wrestling for it and fighting for it with his strength in us, would protect us from the things that want to destroy us, protect us from the ways that we could harm others just because we don't care about something doesn't mean our actions won't have consequences to ourself and to others. And so this proverb written long before Christ represents God's wisdom. Let's not be a city with no defense, no walls. Let's not be broken into and vulnerable, open for easy attack. Where are the places in our lives where our walls have broken down? That's what it's like to be a person with no control over their spirit. They're just vulnerable. How about Jesus in Luke 9, 23 says, uh, If anyone come after me, he should deny himself and take up his cross daily. In the, the matter of following Christ, Jesus' advice is deny yourself, self-denial. Deny the flesh, live for God, live for the kingdom. Treasures in heaven, not on earth. And pick up a cross, which is the, the, the fleshly implement of crucifying all of our fleshly nature. The cross is the, the, the implement by which we put to death and crucify everything and live in faith, live for the Father, live for the kingdom. He says, do that daily. So Jesus' advice wasn't, don't worry about it, I got this on the cross. He's like, spend every day putting to death those old things and living in the new way of my spirit. It's much better. It's much better. How about when Jesus in Luke 13, 24 says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Now he says, narrow is the path to salvation, but broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path. When Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door, that Greek word for strive is agonizesthi. Agonizesthi. And that's where we get our word agonize. Strive, agonize over it. God, please give me your strength so that I could live this life that shines brightly in a dark world because I just don't see it around me. And I know I don't have my human strength because I'm just like anyone else, but by your spirit within me, by your fruit, could I shine like a city on a hill? Agonize for that. Agonize for God's power at work within us. So to the fourth friend, the, the one who says God's got it covered, we have Paul and Jesus uh, they're not saying to just let it go and don't worry about it. 
They're saying, pour your lives out for this, but let it be God's heart that, that motivates you and motors you and empowers you from within and just spend our lives living for the kingdom with joy and actively and in energy. Uh, Jesus and Paul are not just giving us good advice or saying that they've got it. They're setting an example for us for how we are also to live. So this is advice that the Bible would give to our four friends. I'm sure you, I know I, can relate to these things. There are things I need to be reminded of, things I need to think about, so that my self-control isn't just self-imposed worship, harsh treatment of my body with no actual value, or so I just don't let things go when I should be working at them with the Lord. I want to leave you with this quote. It's from a theologian. Uh, doing a word study on this exact sort of concept of self-control. Theologian um, K.S. Woost says, The Christian is a free moral agent. He's not a machine. And he's expected by God to exercise self-control by a free act of his will. Doing this, however, in the energy which the Holy Spirit supplies to the yielded Christian. It is a happy combination and interworking of the free will of the believer and the grace of God. That's exactly what Galatians 5 says. You've been called to live in freedom. And you know, live in freedom and bear the fruit of self-control. It's freedom. It's freeing to be free from falling to everything that will tempt us. Falling to every failure. But we can't do it on our own. So my prayer for us this week, no matter which one of these people we are or some combination of them, would be that our encrates, our fight, for self-control would be a beautiful freeing thing where you say, thank you God for the strength which I am able to exercise here. What a happy interworking of me participating with you with this divine nature that you've given me. And may we also just experience true victory and true freedom where some things for us no longer even require the fight. God, may you give me, may you give us freedom. Lead us not into temptation. May you just free us so we can focus on the next things and new things and pour ourselves out for the sake of others and for the kingdom. May God bless you with the fruit of self-control this week.